Hello and welcome to the Jackcast, your Swansea City podcast. I'm Matt Barocco and I'm joined as ever by Stephen Carroll. Afternoon, Steve. Afternoon. Well, it was always going to be a hell of a long shot and ultimately we finished the season in the strongest form of Russell Martin's reign and wonder what if. But the future feels bright all of a sudden with confirmation of new investment and a new chairman whose first public action was oddly to criticise speculation in the media regarding the future of CEO Julian Winter and Head of Football Operations Josh Marsh. But we'll come on to that a little bit later. Uh, But who better to discuss the weird and wonderful world of Swansea City than the man who inadvertently found himself in the centre of all that, Ian Mitchell-Moore. Hi, Ian. Oh, good afternoon, gents. What a start that is. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us again uh, this afternoon. Um, you had, of course, your own statement on Twitter yesterday, Ian, announcing that you're leaving Wales online for pastures new. Oh, Andy Coleman isn't that ruthless, is he? <laughs> oh, Matt, you've gone hard. You've gone so hard on me. <laughs> no, it was, um, yeah, I think as, as Steve knows, I spoke to him a couple of times and yeah, it was in the pipeline for a couple of months that I was um, going to be leaving at the end of the season. I was actually supposed to leave on Sunday and then the game got moved to the coronation to the Monday. So I ended up doing one more day and seeing out, uh, seeing out a good season with a, uh, a nice win. So that's been in the pipeline for a while for me. So, yeah, it's been a pleasure and uh, I've loved uh, coming on here. Really appreciate you having me on, boys. You do a cracking job, as does Gitter for well when he's done it as well. So well done yeah. to you all. Oh, it's um, it's great to have you on. I mean, you're you're the centre of all things Swansea City, and you're the heart of the um, the, the journalism side of it as well. So it's always great, and we're very grateful to have you on um, as ever. Um, last time we did this podcast, Ian, uh, we were looking, uh, maybe <laughs> fancifully, at potentially sneaking into the playoffs because we needed two wins, of course, and hope other results went our way. But uh, of course, it wasn't to be. Um, Steve, we'll get straight into the action uh, since we last spoke. Uh, we went to Hull to try and get the win. You did say what would happen if you went to Hull. You'd go up there, Steve. We'd concede early and you'd wonder what the hell you were doing there. And that's pretty much exactly what happened. Yeah, it is. And I did turn to uh, the boys I was with and said the same thing. I said, what the hell have we done coming up here? But um, yeah, and we have to be realistic. It was a shocking goal that we gave away as well. So mountain to climb really at that point. But um bit of a strange game, really. Um, I didn't think it was particularly a, a low-quality game in terms of overall play, but not a great deal of chances, and I don't think we really went for it in the way that we, we should have done, considering that it was a literal must-win. So, you know, we, we did well to get back into it, scored a lovely goal, but um, I don't think we really pushed in the way that we probably should have done, considering the situation we were in. I mean, I was looking at it thinking 10 or 15 to go, Literally just go for it because if we lose, who cares? It doesn't really mean anything. But um, but we didn't do that. Um, I think the draw in isolation is not a bad result up there because I didn't think they were necessarily a bad side. But um, obviously it was uh, you know that got paid to us really. But I think if we're being honest, when Millwall won at Blackpool on the Friday, I think that probably told us that uh, we weren't going to get in there anyway. But um, look, it was always a long shot. I think the fact that we were even having this conversation mm. in the first place was a minor miracle. Well, we said that, didn't we? We said whatever happens, the fact that we're doing this penultimate part with uh, we're talking about the possibility is crazy considering the run we went on earlier in the season. And in that run, Ian, there's a fair few games where, well, plenty of games this season for the Swans, where you just wonder how we've managed to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory and stuff like that. But Hull really wasn't, didn't have that feel, did it? It wasn't, we didn't 
dominate necessarily. It wasn't a game where we did everything but score. It was it, it was quite an even affair, wasn't it? Yeah, so I, I wasn't actually up at Hull. It was only the second one I missed this season, but it was um, you know rewatching it and reading up on everything. It was like you say, Steve mentioned it getting off to that worst possible start, but it was a lovely goal to equalise. You know, really good finish first and foremost from. Luke Cundall, good bit of play from Patterson to feed him in, but it was really patient team goal, the kind that you've kind of maybe taken for granted now under Russell Martin with the way that they play. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, like I said, that Millwall result on the Friday night was a bit of a killer. And, and let's be brutally honest, lads, even had they won that and beaten West Brom the other day, they still would have missed out. So that's the only saving grace because ultimately, like you say, conceding those late goals earlier on in the season, I think the worst one for me is still that Millwall game. Um, 2-2 2-0 up at 92nd minute and Gary Rowett said in his press conference he was just desperate to go home he wanted the game to finish and somehow they leave with a two-all draw with two on goals of all things Um, you know Sheffield United Stoke away um, well we could be here all day there's there's been loads in there Blackburn away yeah and for me Birmingham was the worst of the lot because it was days after the transfer window where you know Russ has had that pretty famous press conference with all his staff in. Yeah. There was a lot of tension and anger and frustration at the club around the window. You know, the, the well, I say the owners, it was um, Jason Levian and Jake Silverstein had done their piece with the trust the night before that as well. So it was just grenades being thrown from everywhere. And all of a sudden you feel, wow, if we can, if Swans can win this game, it's going to really kick on and it's going to galvanise them. But mm. the opposite happened and it just absolutely crushed them. So for me, that was comfortably the worst, not just because of the dropping of the points, but because of the knock-on effect they had for the entirety of February and uh, even a good chunk of March, even though performances improved, results didn't. So shoulda, woulda, coulda, ifs and buts, but we are where we are, boys. It's definitely yeah, that feel, isn't it, Steve? We had so much um, hope coming into this season, Russell Martin's second season, and then um, that flurry of form uh, earlier on um, after he changed it up a little bit and you think, well, okay, now we're going to hit our stride and we hit that horrendous run and nothing much was changing. And, um, you know, the question marks left, right and center, but it is a season Steve that we've seen. And we've seen just about every side and every facet of Swansea city. And we've seen the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah. It's been a ridiculous season, really one of the most bizarre. And I mean, the Swans do love to do strange things, but I mean, to have it like, what was a poor start and then, really good run followed by a long run of crap and then a ridiculous run really at the end of the season it's just it's madness it just seems to be all or nothing really doesn't it I think a lot of fans have probably fluctuated between thinking that we've got the right man in charge or we really need to make a change because it's just, that's what happens when you're on such extreme runs and I mean we've probably been guilty of that to a point but I do think we may have actually now turned the, the right corner and it could develop into something more but you know, like some of those ones in the middle were shocking. I mean, we've Mitch's relay there, a good few of the ones where, you know, we, we should be cocked up and, you know, so frustrating. And, you know, you do look at that key period really after the Birmingham game where we just seemed to be confident on the floor after everything had happened. And, um, yeah, it was just a tough spell. And I think through March, I think I remember being on you, and I think most of us were more or less saying that can't wait for the season to end. Whereas, yeah, we're a bit disappointed that it has ended. So, what a strange club we are. It's so it's so weird, isn't it? Because 
as you say, was the confidence as the unity, and but also individual players making individual mistakes. And I remember speaking to Steve and saying on one of the pods around about the March time, I said, if I'm being brutally honest, and if he's being honest to himself, I kind of feel like Andy Fisher wishes that there was another goalkeeper at the club as well, because I feel like he would benefit himself from a bit of time out of the limelight, because everything that was on target was going in. And sometimes it just felt like we would have been better off just putting a, a log on the goal line and just seeing what bounced off it because he was just not getting close. And it was, uh, it was a really horrible time for everyone because, I mean, let's take that Millwall game, the, the last time we would, we lost, funnily enough. But um, they, we could have won that game, but it was a crazy five minutes and two poor goals to concede and the game's gone. Yeah, I think the last time you had me on was not long after that game, about a week, because it might have been after the Bristol City win. But you know, I, I, I looked at that Millwall performance and I actually thought, right, OK, this is a team that are playing for the manager. They haven't lost faith. Yes, they're on a terrible run results-wise, but it was one of those I thought, right, OK, it's not it's not terrible. Get a win on Sunday against Bristol City, which they did, and they can just settle down again. And obviously, they've gone on a fantastic run since then. But yeah, coming back to your point on, on Andy Fisher, he had a you know, really tough spell, I think, coming in as... I wouldn't say a marquee signing, that's a bit unfair, but you know, to come in having worked with Russell Martin, a guy he knows, a lot of pressure on his shoulders, and I actually think on the main last season in the second half, he, he did pretty well in a team that was still evolving and still changing and still, in fairness, learning under the manager because they were only, what, five, six months in to the project. And then this year, he, you know, he had a bit of a, a sloppy start and Stephen Bender comes in and, and does brilliantly, in my view, apart from one or two hiccups here. I think that the one at Reading was a one of his worst ones perhaps and then ironically gets injured not too long later and again out of nowhere Andy Fisher comes in when the team's already on a bit of a bad run players have made mistakes you know the back line is it's so young and inexperienced they're going to make mistakes but then you sort of see the growth of you, you look like Nathan Wood at the start of the season some errors here and there but what a player he's turned into yeah and you even Harry Darling playing at right back I thought he did really well in this run earlier or last month whenever it was so yeah, each player's had their, their sticky spells and, um, you know, Fisher, obviously, being a goalkeeper, you're naturally going to get a lot of criticism for it, but he does feel like he's recovered from it really well. I think some of the clean sheets he's kept lately, he's, he's played a big part in them, particularly at Wigan. You know, he didn't have a lot to do in that game, but the bits he did have to do, he did brilliantly. So, you'd like to think he's come through that now. You know, they could have made the change, but realistically, what use is it putting Andreas Sondergaard in when he's going to be leaving in a couple of weeks' time and, you know, there's no continuity there. So I can understand Russell Martin's thinking on that one and he probably thinks that he's been vindicated because Fish has produced and so have the team. So, yeah, it just feels like a very uh, a strange learning curve of a season, hasn't it? Oh, I've, and it, well, I'll bring it back to you because me and Steve talk of the daily about the Swans and I think sometimes we probably run the risk of being a bit of an echo chamber because we agree on a lot of how things go and we both said um, that this is so much to do with the systemic change in the way that we're approaching games but actually in the formation as well um, and, and Russell Martin changing up as you mentioned there um, when we went to the back four and Harry Darling slotting in at right back and excelling in um, Latibodier's absence um, through suspension and you're looking at it and you're thinking well, okay so we've got um, this back four now where we haven't got the flying wing backs that are playing higher up than Joel Perot and we're going, getting caught on the break with Dahl, uh, with Wood and Cabango being pulled left and right trying to close down wingers and it was just a mess wasn't it um, do, you, uh, do you share that school of thought do you feel that the change of system has really helped us get out to that bad run and contributed to, to seven wins in nine 
Yeah, in this moment, I definitely think it's, it's helped because, like you say, last year he favoured a back three with wing-backs. You know, when you've got players like Ethan Laird, Cyrus Christie, you can get up and down, Hannes Wolf on the other side. You know, they're top-quality wing-backs in the Championship, but they've not had that this season. As much as Ryan Manning has played there at times, uh, the right side's obviously been an issue in that regard. But I just think it suited what they needed at the time, especially given the players that they had. Like you say, you know, Latte Bodier getting suspended, spoke to Harry Darling, I think it was after the Coventry game, the nil-nil, yeah. um, and he said, like, I don't want to play right-back, but if it means I'm playing and I can contribute, I'll play there. Um, and I think he, he performed admirably in that role to one that, you know, it's not it's not in his favourite position, it's not one he's played much in his career, so um, it was almost like needs must and, and do what you can, and then Latibald years come back in, and at right-back, I think he's done a good job in this run. You've had the continuity of the centre-backs, Wood and Cabango, who for the last couple of months have been fantastic and then Ryan Manning Ryan Manning you don't need to say anything about him he's just been brilliant so uh, yeah I just think it's that continuity which they've not really had in Russell Martin's time you've gone from Ryan Bennett to Kyle Norton to uh, you know Cabango's in and out at times last season and then you're Nathan Wood now and Harry Darling there's been a lot of changes at the back which when you've got a goalkeeper who's maybe a bit low on confidence and you want to play that style it's not ideal for him either so it all goes hand in hand but um, like I say, it's, the back line is so young, aside from Ryan Manning, and naturally it's going to lend itself to the old mistake here and there, but also produce some brilliant moments from some of the goals we've seen as well. So swings and roundabouts, I think, to be honest, lads. It's, it's fair to say, Stephen, it's gone, as you said earlier on, it's been a, one of the craziest seasons, which is quite a lot to say as a Swansea City fan, considering what we've been through the last 15, 20 years. But um, just looking at the way those players have uh grown or changed in these last nine games it, it almost feels like as I said at the top of the podcast about the season of what ifs and if the season had lasted maybe three games longer we might well be looking ahead to a playoff uh, challenge now which is just crazy considering I mean you know we, we won three in 23 it's, it's bonkers yeah I mean we've got to be realistic I think the, the standard has been quite poor this season and that means that it really is a big missed opportunity because when you look at the teams that are going to come down from the Premier League for next season, it, it is going to be harder, I would have thought. So very frustrating, really. But like you say, I mean, we've been a different team the last nine games. I mean, it's just, it feels like we found a way now of getting the best out of our players. And I mean, I look at someone like Uncham as an example. I think he's yeah. probably having his best run, prolonged run of, of form since he came in. I mean, Patterson has come back in and has done really well. Um Obviously, I think playing two up front has, has made a big difference. Perot seems to have woken up because I think earlier in the season, um, he was not his best form. Maybe uh, with a transfer window opening, that might have something to do with it. But nevertheless, he has played very well recently. And you have to say that when Cullen has been in the team, tends to score, as we've said before. So, you know, I think going with uh, that two up front and like a diamond in midfield has, has worked well for us. Been in the wing backs, which is hasn't worked because we don't have the personnel was the right thing to do. And yeah, it does feel like we now have, um, you know, we, we have found uh, our arguably a best team, but, but there is options to come in as well because Liam Walsh was obviously in the team when we first started to, to pick up and he hasn't played a lot recently. And you look at the way Joe Allen played against Preston, that gives hope for next season, I would say. So yeah, I'm, I do feel more optimistic now. And it, like you say, I think if the season was another couple of games uh, left, would have fancied us maybe to have got into the playoffs, but uh, look, we, we left it too late. And I mean, if you're being honest as well, 
was it was it sixty three points we ended with or sixty four something like that? That usually gets you nowhere near the playoffs. So you've got to be realistic about that. Yeah, it's um okay. The the, the dream, if it were that Ian uh, died at uh, at Hull, we just thought, okay, then this is what it is, and uh, eventually have to accept that you know the form through the season simply wasn't good enough to be considering yourself as a Premier League team in waiting as as much as the. Uh, poor quality of the league lended itself to give us an opportunity, really. But um, if there was one game to encapsulate uh, Swansea City's season, perhaps it was the final game of the season. Um, and your your final one reporting on the Swans for Wales Online, and it had it had it all again. It had the uh, silly conceded goals. It had fantastically worked goals from Swansea's point of view. It had late drama. It it and it had a crazy shot from the opposition that finds its way in the back of the net. And you just seem like, well, this is this right here. This is Swansea City. If you have just brought someone in, you'd say, this is us. This is this is what happens. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, yeah, aside from that Millwall Blackburn game, you know, Sky would have been thrilled to have had that one. But it was a cracking game first and foremost. It was. I love what. Carlos Corbran's done at West Brom. It's a good squad, um, you know, a, a big club that is more than comfortable in sort of being in that sort of bracket of Premier League to Championship in the middle somewhere. Um, and you can see how he's transformed them because they were they're a better side, I feel, than they've shown this season. Like I say, Steve Bruce, it was a bit of a disaster there, but um, you know, I think they probably look at Swansea as well and think the exact same thing three or four more games, and they'd have done it because. Probably if you look at the time that Carlos Corbran's been there, they'd have probably been in the playoff places, whereas they had such a bad start and took a bit of time to make that change. So it, it probably cost them deal in the end, but it just contributed to what was a really good game. Um, and like you say, some lovely goals, nice play from Pirro and, and Patterson to set up Luke Cundall, who I think has been excellent in this run. And I can see exactly why Russell Martin wants him back. And it probably would be a good move for all parties, purely because he's not going to cough the earth. He's been here for a season. He's going to get better in the championship, you think. Um, and then, yeah, lovely bit of play from Olivia Cham, who Steve's already alluded to, has been in excellent in this last couple of months. Probably showed his best form since he's been at Swansea. And then Joel Pirro, I mean, just thrilled for him to get that goal because, you know, to, to get 20 for the season, it's a great landmark for him. And, you know, he, he's openly spoken about the the feeling he had last summer with all the, the speculation and everything else. It can't be easy for him coming from... Holland as a youth player effectively to straight into the championship having a great season all that talk about you and, and even then with the, the ups and downs he's had he's still hit 20 in a season so yeah what a player if it was his last kick of a ball um, it's been a privilege to watch him yeah it's, it, it lends itself nicely to a talk about Perot Steve because he did have a point during the season where we did sit on this podcast and say there's something not right. He's not He's not breaking a sweat. He's not jumping to win the ball in the air. Not that he's a prolific aerial threat, but I mean, in terms of just showing that endeavour, we just, we, we sat here, so he's not, he's not leading the line. He's not giving us the option to go to him. Um, and, and the hunger looks like he's back. He's got a smile back on his face again. And uh, to hit 20, as Ian said, is is just an incredible feat two seasons in a row for such a young player. And as he said, again, it's, it's so inexperienced before he came here. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <clears throat> look, as I said, I've been critical of him. I think an example would probably be a QPR, wouldn't it, where he scored that offside goal. But he, I felt he probably could have got himself back onside and then we would have ended up winning the game. I mean, that's a, a good example of the type of frustration we've seen with Perot at times this year. But yeah, I think in particular, since that international break, I mean, he was brilliant at Cardiff. Mm. And I've scored quite a few goals since then. There was the double at Wigan, wasn't there? Obviously, the, the goal... Um, 
the other day, scored a couple against Preston. So, yeah, he's been back on form, hasn't he? And the thing is, when he's on form, he's he is one of the best strikers in the division. There's no two ways about it. So, look, he's been he's been really good for us. Well, I think it was Andy Scott that found him, and um, you have to say it's one of the best bits of business we've done in recent years. So, you know, um, look, I think we need to be realistic here. He's got a year left. <clears throat> There was talk last season of us wanting to tie him down to a longer contract, but he didn't seem fussed on it. So realistically, I think he's got to go in the. But um, you know, from my point of view, as long as we get good money from him, there's a plan to to reinvest to make us a more rounded side. Then you know, it's one of those things you have to accept because you know financially we did make a loss again this year, and it was quite a substantial one. So the easiest way to to offset that is to sell people and. Obviously, the players you're going to sell are usually your better ones, unfortunately. So, um, you know, we, we, yeah, he's going to go. That, I think that's the, the gist of it. But, look, he's been great for us. Um, probably one of the best strikers we've had in recent years. And, um, you know, hopefully we're, uh, <coughs> we're out there scouring for a replacement because it's not going to be easy to replace him. Is he going to go? Because... Um, we want the money. Uh, you alluded to the big loss we made. Or is he going to go because he wants a new challenge, do you think? Probably both. I, th- I think we'll be happy to send him out the door. Um, I think we'll want the money, particularly if you won't sign a contract. And I think he'll probably look at it and think, well, you know, this lot, we have made progress this year. We could have gone to the playoffs. But, you know, I think if you're a player, you're probably looking at our lot and thinking, well, with these owners, are we really going to, you know, kick on. Am I really going to get a chance to play in the Premier League with this club? And they're probably thinking the answer is no. And I can understand why. So mm. yeah, I think for both parties, it's probably a, it'd be a convenient thing if he was to to move on as long as the money's good, really. I think that's how we'd be looking at it. So as Steve said there, if the money's good, Ian, um, it's an interesting one. I did put this on a, a little poll on Twitter. I just kind of thought I might be being crazy here. Um, because of the new investment, you... Um, I don't know if you do know more than me on this one regarding the figures involved uh, with the extra money coming into the Swans and what potentially that could mean for the summer transfer window. But if it is substantial and it allows us not to have to do another Flynn down situation, um, then uh, I put out that it would make better financial sense to keep Perot and let lose him on a free next year than to sell him if the offer was less than 10 million so would you would you sell him for say seven eight million or if that was the best offer on the table would you say well actually we're actually going to improve all the areas around you and we think that leaving you go on a free next season makes better sense because you could get a promotion how do you think that would lie within the swans hierarchy it's, it's always a million dollar question isn't it um especially and this is part of the problem with leaving players going to the final years because you leave yourself so vulnerable and even worse when you do it like with Ryan Mannings that can go out of contract and, and Latibo Gear and Norton and so on. Um, but in terms of the question you're asking there, Matt, I think regardless of this investment that's, that's due in, um, I think, I don't know if you've watched it, the, the trusted the interview with Kieran Maguire, football finance mm-hmm. expert recently, and it's, it's brilliant. Kieran is absolutely phenomenal what he does. And I love his breakdowns of, of all things finances. Um, and he quite simply says the club relies on player trading model. Um, I think they made £200 million over the last 10 years, which, bearing in mind, that includes the time in the Premier League as well. So it goes to show you how reliant they've been on that. And obviously in the Championship now, they've had, well, the latest accounts, was it, was it a £13 million loss? And that's only after the first season without parachute payments. We've just finished the second, so it's not going to get any easier. Even with yeah. this investment, it's you know, you, you, you're keeping the lights on, you're plugging gaps. It's not going to 
suddenly give Russell Martin a, a 10, 15 million pound war chest. You're far, far from it, I can assure you. So, um, but in terms of the Joel Pirro question, it does feel, I wouldn't say it's inevitable, but you know, he's in the last year of his deal. They'll probably think the time is right to cash in while he's got a good value, maybe less than it should be because of his contract situation and everything else, but still good money nonetheless because even Flynn Downs, like they got by Swansea standards in a championship club and everything else, it is a good fee for him and it kept him going for another year. One of those every year keeps you going. Maybe then with that little bit of investment, you can kick on, but if it's not him, it feels like it'll be somebody else, whether it would be a Nathan Wood or somebody like that. So, I'd be very surprised if there's still not a, a, a big sale, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that, you know, if it's not going to be a big war chest, then we have to cut our cloth accordingly, don't we? And um, Steve, I mean, from, I guess it's kind of a bittersweet moment because the late season form has seen the spotlight come back on. Um, people who have suddenly stepped up again and really look like they come to their own. Um, you mentioned in Cham earlier on, obviously we know Manning's out of contract and that potentially could run to the wire depending on if and when this little bit of money does come in and whether we can get something down. I know maybe just like a 5% there now is very, very slim, isn't there? But, um, and, and with the Joel Perot situation as well, these players, if Perot hadn't gone on this late season form and, gone in and uh, and and banged all the calls in to get to 20 then you may be looking at it and with with little interest from from clubs around the country but uh, there is going to be a spotlight on him and I should imagine um, if it's not one of the relegated uh, Premier League clubs then it may be someone abroad that takes a look and thinks that uh, this is an investment he's still only 23 I think yeah that's the thing you know he's going to be somebody that's that's viewed as you know a someone whose best years are ahead of him and obviously if he was to go somewhere and do really well then that club might be able to sell him on for another profit really so look I think there will be interest I mean as you say I mean whether the interest would have been as strong a month or so ago I, I don't know because he has his form has picked up but um, maybe that's another way we have to look at it you know if um, considering for part of this season he was quite poor and lacklustre you know if it was to go through a spell like that again then he could be in trouble so I think we We've got to be realistic sometimes, don't we? We we can't afford to let good players go for nothing. I mean, we've I'm sure we'll talk about Ryan Madden in a bit, but we don't want situations like that, do we? I think you know, no one ever wants to see their best players go, but it is football. It will always happen, I think, to clubs like us. So look, we're gonna to have to be realistic. I just hope that it's a good fee. I hope it's not something that's derogatory and we just accept it. I hope it's something that is, you know, close to what he's worth at least and um yeah, we'll go from there. Yeah, it will t- at least, I mean, we'll chat now about the this new investment, Ian, and what it could mean for Swans in terms of how we do our business. Um, but at least the, the public knowledge of more money coming into the club perhaps puts us in a better bargaining position. Um, remember when we got relegated from the Premier League and everyone knew we were cash-strapped and looking like we could go to the wall almost. And so it, it was just a bargain. It was a boot sale, wasn't it? Of Swansea City players, come and get what you want. Um, this potentially could leave us, at least in the public image, in a stronger position to turn away derisory offers. Um we see other clubs. I mean, look at Ben Brereton Diaz at Blackburn, out of contract. And even at the other side of the financial scale, Rotherham with Ogbeni, out of contract this summer. And he, not two massive players of those two clubs are going to walk away on a free. So it's one of those pro- troublesome things when they can't get a new deal. Um, but what 
the in new investment. What will that mean to the club in terms of their uh, trading model going ahead in the summer? So in terms of the trading model, I don't really think it changes much. It just gives them maybe more scope to to do the things that they wanted to do. So you look at some of the 50-50s and we, we know the market that they're operating in when it comes to signing players. They're not going to be signing for five, six, seven million, but you know there might be one or two like a Harry Darling who's going to cost you about a million or just over a Michael Obafemi or a Joel Pira who's, you know, again, just over that one and a half million mark. So suddenly if you've got that little bit of cash, you can put yourself ahead of other championship clubs. And then obviously when you combine that with the style that the club have got and you can prove to people this model works for players to score goals. If, you, if we're talking about a striker like Joel Pirro, for example, you can say, well, look how he's gone on to thrive under us. So suddenly it'll tip things in your favour, whereas previously it wouldn't have been the case as you know January to some extent proved um, and maybe other windows as well under, under these owners. So um, it certainly helps. I, I wouldn't get your hopes up. It's not going to drastically change things. And I think Russell Martin said this a couple of times publicly as well. So, yeah, I just think as much as there is a lot of excitement, just don't expect things to massively change. Just the, the one thing you do hope is that they can identify the targets they want and go and get them within the budget, within the constraints, and just go and do it, not have the dramas and the, the dallying and the, and the mess that we've had in terms of communication internally last uh, last January. That's, that's the key for me. If they can get that sorted, then they're already onto a winner because if they can identify targets within their remit, then happy days and go and get them as they should do, you know? We know already, Steve, of um, Andy Coleman coming in as uh, the chairman. Um, as of yet, Julian Winter still in post. We don't know what will happen there. Um, we wait to see. Um, but um, and I'll come on to that in 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 a little bit. But um, the decision making at the top. We saw January. We saw Jason Levian being uh, worse than useless at this um, breakdown in communications. Too slow to react. Pulling out of deals last minute. Not a way to run a football club. Clearly doesn't get it. How long they've been in charge now? Seven years, whatever it's been. It's just not good enough. He's just not learning any lessons. And so when you consider going forward, money may not be the ultimate issue here for the Swans. It's who's actually making the final call. Well, yeah, I think no matter what the circumstances are, if Levian is still calling the shots, then everybody's wasting their time, really, because the man is completely clueless and he seems to think he's the expert. And... Ultimately, he's holding us back, isn't he? I mean, that car crash interview that we alluded to earlier um, for the trust is just complete nonsense. Um, he tied himself up in knots. He was talking like somebody who generally didn't have a clue. And um, obviously, actions speak louder than words anyway. I think we've, we're past the point, aren't we, where we want to hear anything from him. We, we want to see change. And um, it's a simple case of we need people who know what they're talking about and know what they're doing, taking charge of the football in decisions. Which is so you've not, got, oh, go on, sorry. I was just going to say, it's not him, is it? No, well, this is it. I think, as you say, there's only so long you can go with the same shit and then think at the end of the day, it just needs to change now. You're not going to learn. He did say after January, we're going to learn lessons, but it's been a repeated thing every transfer window. Stu James said um, shortly after January, didn't he, about the amount of trading we've done on deadline day since the new ownership have come in. It's been astronomical. And it's because of the lack of planning, the lack of foresight to go in and get the deals done early. We left looking to see what oh God, we need a right back. We need to plug a hole here. We need to do this. We need to do that on the final day and leaving themselves with way too much work to do. And clubs just don't want to let their best players go on deadline day without the opportunity to replace them. But 
Then there comes the shining light of thinking this new ownership and Andy Coleman gets announced as chairman and you're thinking, right, a new future, a new era of Swansea City. Let's see what this is about. Um, <laughs> and then um, one of the most bizarre things of the season, and that as a lot of contenders, uh, was a tweet that went out on, what was the seventh? When was that? Four days ago. That would have been Monday, was it? Um, Monday. Monday. It came out on Monday night. Maybe too many drinks in the Coleman household. Because um, a tweet came out saying, Swansea said the AFC believes that people matter. I believe that people matter. I am extremely disappointed by recent speculation in the media, Ian, uh, sorry, <laughs> regarding Julian Winter and Josh Marsh. That is just not okay, and it's simply something I cannot let stand. We as a club will always support our community members when wronged, signed Andy. That's just the most bizarre and out of the blue um, tweet, because there was like no fire. There was no... There was no storm to react to to create this, and it created a storm by that silly comment, that silly statement. Yeah, I I don't get it because I mean, okay, if if he doesn't like the story, then fine. But if if you're saying you, you don't like it, <clears throat> then at least you know th- there's no point saying anything unless you're going to clarify that it's wrong and both men are staying, and that wasn't done. So look, I mean. Stories will appear in in the press regularly, as as we know, and it, you know, cut off, and it'll be sources say or anything along those lines. But people are not going to write stories unless you know they're they're pretty sure that they what what they're saying is going to happen. So, look, I I just don't understand what that rant was all about. It, it made no sense, and you have to clarify what you're saying. And all that did was pose more questions than answers. So, a ridiculous thing to do, really. Um, Makes no sense. Creates a very bad first impression, I would say, and um, that's about it. And nothing has happened since. So it literally is just ridiculous. Yeah, it is very, as you say, Steve. It's so um, bizarre because there was more in what he didn't say than what he did say. In the fact that he didn't clarify any positions, didn't uh, back um, Julian or Josh in terms of their future positions at the club. So it just, as you say, left more questions. Uh, Ian, as the man of the moment, I mean, you must have sat down on Monday night and thought, I really don't need this shit right now. <laughs> just having to see this come out and stuff and um, just create this drama or nothing. It was it was such a bizarre evening. Yeah, you know, perks of the job, I suppose, isn't it, Matt? But joking aside, I mean, I understand it. And if they want to throw their weight behind Josh and Julian and support them and thank them for the work they're doing and ongoing and everything else and basically show solidarity. I get it. And it's a good act from Andy to, to do that if that's what he's intending to do, especially given that he's so new as well. So I understand that. But, but like you've alluded to there, the statement just gives zero clarity. In fact, it does the opposite. There was no denial or committal of what's going to happen in the future. And yeah, it just confused a lot of people. So it was a bit of a strange one. I, I understand the sentiment. Maybe the execution was certainly not there, but yeah, we spoke about execution at the top level at this club quite a lot in the last few years. So um, maybe that's an issue that needs addressing and we'll see what's what. But it's just a strange one. Um, but we all know it's going to be a, a summer of change. We've seen it already with you know, Andy Parslow's moved on. And this is only, what, day three after the season's finished that we're on now at the time of recording. So um, yeah, we talk about all these things on the pitch, but there's a lot to get sorted off the pitch as well, I think. Well, yeah, as you say, um, quite recent news, uh, Ian, Andy Parslow has left his position as set-piece coach. Steve, uh, this is another one that's kind of 
it's, it's a bit of a weird one. Some people are looking at the, the stats on the paper and saying, well, we're scoring so many goals from set pieces now, so many more goals from set pieces now that he's obviously doing a great job. But I'm watching the Swans on the pitch and I think sometimes have we got a set piece coach that's just completely clueless because some of the goals we've conceded this season have been a joke as well. Where, where do you sit on this? It's a tough one, I think, isn't it? I think, you know, look, you know, obviously when you bring in a set piece coach, you're always thinking, well, you should improve at them and there should be some you know, good routines and stuff like that. There have been, you know, I think there's been some improvements. I think, as you said, we have scored from some of them, but look, I think some of the goals we've given away have been shambolic, but I mean, you can look at it another way, can't you? I mean, it's, you know, a, a bog standard ball comes in and a, someone beats a man to it. I mean, you can't just blame a coach for that. Sometimes a, a defender has to go for it more and maybe they, or you could argue, do we need to work more on who's picking up who and stuff like that? I mean, do you remember early in the season we played Wigan at home? And we conceded two identical goals from corners, and you're just thinking, well, arguably that that just isn't good enough. I mean, you're you're never going to go through a season and never concede from the set piece. I think let's be realistic about that. But you know, um, you can't always just blame coaches either. I don't think. I mean, if some of the times the players have to take responsibility, but look, they've they've obviously decided to make a change, and um, I suppose the proof will uh, will be in the pudding, won't it? But um, look, we. You know, I don't think there's ever going to be a time where we're not talking about the set piece weakness with the Swans. It's uh, it's been that way for almost the entire time I've supported the club. <laughs> you know, Steve Cooper aside, maybe, but yeah, apart from that, I think we've uh... yeah. I mean, like I said, the odd year where we had Clement and Sigurdsson cross into the red day and stuff like that. We weren't bad at that point, but yeah, moments were were few and far between, weren't they? In general, set pieces have not been a forte for Swansea City. No, it actually does seem to be that the better the football we play on the pitch, the worse we are at set pieces, isn't it? When you consider like some Martinez and, and, and Loudrup and stuff, and that sometimes the goals we conceded in those great eras were, were just weaker from the set pieces. And the managers who are a bit more pragmatic, like Clement, like Cooper, like Souza, they were defence first and obviously showed up at the back a lot more but um, the football wasn't always as easy on the eye is it probably and it's probably a mixture of the two that um, perhaps not always on tune in the set piece coaching but at the same time we, as you mentioned earlier on the podcast there's a lot of young players in the back line there who are still learning yeah it's collective isn't it you know quite frankly in, in Russell Martin's first season that the, the set pieces were just nowhere near good enough um, you look at Huddersfield who managed to get in the playoffs Last season, they were, I think, the highest scorers in the division, whereas Swansea were the lowest, and it was just a clear, glaring error. And yet, you know, to lose Michael Oberfemi, Jamie Patterson, obviously not playing for a long spell, two players who contributed massively last year, um, Hannes Wolf, Cyrus Christie, these lads who got goals and assists, um, and yet Swansea scored far more goals this season than they did last, and these goals have improved as well. So. Um, in that sense, it's good to see it in terms of a trend. It's definitely improved. And, and Andy Parslow has definitely played a big part in that. But like you say, certain things, that Wigan game Steve alluded to, I mean, it was carbon copies. You could watch the two of them, you probably wouldn't know which one was which. It was same corner, same side, and yeah, very, very similar. And that just comes down to players as well. So it is collective. And yeah, perhaps the timing of it might seem a bit weird. Yeah, I, I must admit, I don't know the situation with Andy in terms of is he moving on elsewhere or what the story is. But they have improved. Um, you know, there's still issues, and yeah, part of that is probably down to some of the youth inexperience, the chopping and changing at the back as well, the, the lack of continuity as well. So that never helps. But 
yeah, it's been a collective and on, on the whole, they have improved. So that's, it's encouraging that they were able to identify a problem and at least improve it. Maybe, you know, it's far from perfect, but going in the right direction, I think is, is a fair way to put it. It's showing that definitely that we we need to replace Andy Parcel, I think, because the stats bear up that, that we need we need a set-piece coach here just based on the two seasons with and without. But um, it's the start, Steve, of a summer we expect a very, very busy summer, not just players on the pitch, but as we've seen with Andy Parcel there, staff off the pitch as well. And and this, we, as Ian, we were talking about 15 minutes ago with, with the new investment, new money, and... Uh, looking identifying targets even if we still have the same trading model and we're looking for young players maybe from league one with a lot show a lot of promise which is kind of our market or out of contract players like benny and things who is, we've always been long-term admirers of um even if the the model stays the same and you've just got a little bit more wiggle room in terms of who you can bring in in, in within that model we're still in a cloud of uncertainty and and that is just what's kind of really frustrating right now is from the from at the very top who's running the club is this new investment going to get signed off our manager's going into his final year and he's been shouting for the last six months that he wants to sit down and talk about a new contract this, the wins seven wins in nine is certainly going to intensify speculation we've already seen rumors that he might jump over to leicester if they get relegated so there's a lot that needs to be sorted right now yeah, there is. Um, you know, we can't really delay with these things. I mean, we've got Ryan Manning out of contract, for example. Looks like he's going to go, but he hasn't gone yet. So that, that would tell me that it's not 100% nailed on. So can we sit down with him and, and discuss coming to an agreement, for example? Now, I'm not saying we should bend over backwards here because we've got to be realistic with our finances. But, you know, can we do a deal there? And obviously there's Lata Baudier, isn't there? I mean, realistically, I'm, I'm not going to cry any tears if he goes because... I'm just not a big fan, but... But Russell Martin will. Well, well he's yes. Big he, no, well, Martin seems to think he's the new Maldini. But, um, <laughs> yeah, um, look, at the end of the day, the manager wants to keep him. So, mm. fact is, you probably need to back him on that. Um, mm. he, he's even said he wants to keep Norton, which I was very surprised at, if I'm honest, because he's barely played since the World Cup. And he's probably on a fair wage for someone who's not playing. So, that was, I'd view that as a chance to get someone out to... That's on probably wages that you is is more than what he's worth at the moment. So, but look, I mean, those things need looking at. And I mean, Martin, as you say, has been banging a drum for a new deal, and I wouldn't have given him one before previously. But the way I look at it now, like you say, seven wins on nine, we've been playing really well. Then, you know, I probably would offer him one year extension just to, you know, just so it shows we're still believing in this project. But you don't want to lock yourselves into a longer one necessarily because, you know, we've been on such bad runs previously. So. It's a tricky one in that sense. Um, but look, there, yeah, there is going to be a lot of changes. I mean, Josh Marsh and Julian Winter were mentioned. I, I don't see how we can have, you know, if Paul Watson comes in from Luton, I don't really see how Marsh can stay. And now that Coleman has come in as chairman, I'm struggling to see what Winter's role is. So, you know, I think there is going to be quite a bit of changes. And, you know, so it's, as ever, it's going to be a, a dull season, a, a dull summer, I should say, in Swansea. Yeah, we're not big enough as a club to have a chairman and a CEO quite frankly, are we? So um, as much as uh, Andy Coleman might want to tweet, um, I think he's going to end up looking a bit silly in a few weeks' time. But we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. But uh, Ian, I mean, 
as I just mentioned to Steve there, there's there's so much uncertainty around the club at the moment, and none more so than who's going to be the manager, because um, now that the run has come on uh, with the last nine games, you're just thinking, I've gone from thinking, how on earth is Russell Martin still in a job, to how on earth do we keep Russell Martin in this job? <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy how quickly things turn. It's been an absolutely bonkers season. But um, at the same time, you're looking at it thinking, well, where, where do we go from here? He needs to be able to have certainty in his future, to be able to get players in to do the job for next season. And he he's it's, it's hot and cold all the time. It's crazy. Yeah, crazy is the right word, Matt. Um, and, and this is partly why I think it was just before the whole game when you know they were still in the hunt for a playoff place. Um, I wrote a piece about him being the key issue. Now, whether you're Martin in, Martin out, you're not a fan of the style or you love it, it's irrelevant who the manager is in terms of if it was Steve Cooper or Graham Potter or Bob Bradley. It doesn't matter, right? The bottom line is there needs to be clarity around the manager because the players need to know who am I playing for? How am I going to play? Do I fit in? Am I even going to play and get minutes or am I going to be a squad player? And if you don't sort the manager's position out, then how on earth are you supposed to recruit in a summer where you need big recruitment? There's going to be big changes. So I think that was the crux of that piece that I wrote um, about two weeks ago. It would have been now. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's just a massive, massive issue that they really need to sort. And once they do get that sort of finalised or in the pipeline, I think then other players can have more assurances. OK, we know that the gaffer and his staff are staying, gives them more security. They know what they want to do then. And, you know, if offers come on the table, they might then be far more inclined to take it than if they weren't sure if you were staying. And, and, you know, if another club comes in for them and they think, hmm, I might be tempted. Well, if they know the manager's staying, suddenly they might go, well, actually, I quite like it here. I'm playing... I've got a prominent role and um, and they'd be more inclined to stay, like Joel Latibolier, for example. So, you know, if in a month's time it's still not sorted, somebody like him might be going, well, I need to sort myself out here and I'm going to move on. Whereas if the head coach gets sorted now and it's all done and dusted, he suddenly thinks, well, OK, I'm playing under him. He really likes me as a person, as a player. I'm probably going to stay. So, you know, it's, it's not rocket science, is it, lads? And you'd like to think this would have been done by now. It hasn't. It is what it is. But... This is where there just needs to be more joined up thinking and, and, and clarity behind the scenes in terms of what they're um, executing, I think is the right word to say. It's pure speculation on my part, but it feels like this conversation about new investment slash takeover talks and, and all the rumours that have been going on, to be quite frank, for a few months now. And we understand that this conversation is in the background. They've been going on for a lot, lot longer as well, Steve. So um, it almost feels like, and again, it is pure speculation on my part, that this has almost been strung out to see kind of what's going to happen. At one point, we looked like, well, we might need to pick up a few more wins just to stave off any late relegation fight. Now we're looking at, God, with three more games, we would have snuck into the playoffs. And where the ownership lies is almost like we're going to wait to see where we are at the end of the season. But this is a... This is a top-down change. We we talk about, before we even talk about Russell Martin, who's going to be making that decision? I mean, is Levin still going to be the man signing off? Is it going to be um, uh, Nigel Morris? You know, we're going to have someone else at the top making the big calls and stuff like that. Or we, uh, Andy Coleman as the chairman, is he going to be given the the full uh, rights in, in terms of the man in the ground in Swansea to be making those calls? Um, there's so much to change from the top before we even get to Russell Martin, and then we go beyond that again, and then you look at players who are out of contract, we talked about Latibodier, Ryan Manning, Kyle Norton, he wants to keep those three, They'll, those will have to be sat down and, and, and spoken too soon, two massive players that have got one year left, Nathan Wood and Joel Perrault, 
you know, what's going to happen with them and who's going to be doing those deals if they are to be sold and stuff like that. It's just top down. It's going to be a busy summer. Yeah, it is. And I think my big fear at the moment really is, are we going to see a power struggle behind the scenes? I mean, new people have come in. We're expecting more to come in, aren't we, with Nigel Morris and Brett Cavat? But I mean, surely they're not coming in here and thinking, you know, that, they want to let other people make the decisions. You'd have thought they'd want to be hands-on. I mean, Andy Coleman is now the chairman. Are we going to see a power struggle of some will want to do things one way and others like Levian will want to do it the other? It's And when that happens, I just, you know, I can't see how it can be successful, really. So that's my, my fear. You may, some of them may want to keep the manager. Some of the others may want to put him out. And then, then what do you do? It's, it's a tough one, isn't it? Um, you know, what... Well, we're just going to have to wait and see how it plays out, aren't we? Ian, what do you, what, what are you allowed to disclose <laughs> from, the, from the background of uh, what's going on at the club at the moment? They, just from the tweet we mentioned earlier on, it seems to still be a little bit of chaos behind the scenes. But um, what's the thinking? Is there going to be a new man at the helm? Is there going to be uh, the same old thing with a bit more money in the pockets? What, how are we looking, do you think, over the summer? So when you say new man at the helm, are you talking manager up at the top? Or? Well, I was talking about at the uh, Levian's level, but yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah, the very top. Yeah, yeah, so I mean, it's no secret that there's going to be changes, you know, Andy's come in, um, so he's already been confirmed, not just as chairman, but as an investor, that's all gone through by the FL and everything else. Um, but then there's, of course, the other investment from from Nigel and, uh, Nigel Morris and Brett Cavat, as Steve mentioned, so we're just waiting for that to be publicly ratified I think but I think the consensus is that it's as good as done it was always going to be around the end of the season when that's done but mm. you know, Steve's alluded to it there you, you can't have a brand new chairman and a, C, uh, a chief executive and the head of football operations and then a sporting director Paul Watson <laughs> if and when that's done well, it's just confirmed that they've lost £13 million in a financial year which was their first of the year without parachute payments and we've just had the second so you know, you don't have to be a mathematician to work out that that just doesn't make sense. Um, and then it comes back to this whole thing of who's making the final decisions. Well, we know who that is because he said it publicly in a trust interview, what, three months ago, Jason Levian. Um, and then this is why it comes back to this issue of clarity and and transparency, I think is probably the key word, because I think in the, the statement that announced Andy as chairman uh, that roughly this time last week, whenever it was, um, I think Jason Levian said, I've got the quote here, we believe what Swansea City needs now is a chairman on the ground with the authority to run the club. Well, if that's the case, what's Julian Winter been tasked with doing recently? Is that overseeing stuff and then handing it over? Mm. Because in January, that's not been working. And that's not Julian's fault. It's not Josh Marsh's fault. It's not the coaching staff's fault. They've done what they can and they've done their jobs to the best of their ability. But when it's been handed over, for whatever reason, it's not worked. So is this Jason Levian's way of saying... We need to rectify that, which if it is, brilliant, because it's an admirable thing to do. Is he now passing full control to Andy Coleman? Well, <laughs> nobody knows because nobody's fully cleared that up. But if he's saying he's been given day-to-day running of the club, is he going to be making the final calls? Look, time will tell. We don't know. But, yeah, I think this is just where people would like that little bit of clarity and just to understand things a little bit clearer, really. I think there's... Just again, reading between the lines, there's a there's there's probably an elevated sense of trust between um, Levian and Coleman, given that um, they both uh, is it they both invest as a DC as well. Um, so I think um, from that point of view, maybe maybe he's 
closer with Andy Coleman? I don't know. We're looking at it now and we're still in the speculating stage of is Andy Coleman even going to be the one to sign things off? Or was that all said for sure? Um, and we don't know what's going to happen at the very top. But um, what's key for the summer? Um, Steve, do you think um, bringing in the new players, because uh, we've got so many holes, again, fullback positions and stuff like that, and w- do we need to bring in uh, a lot of players or do we just need to look at saving the ones that we've got? There's there's still question marks all over that side of it as well, isn't there? Yeah, we, we do need players, don't we? I think I think if nobody was to leave, we'd probably need about three or four, but I think by the time that they've gone, there's going to be more like six or seven, so... As you say, the full-back positions are going to be particularly important, I think, because, well, we're incredibly short, aren't we? I mean, Marin, we think, will go, so there isn't really a left-back or a left-wing-back at the club then. I mean, there is Nathaniel better, but, I mean, it's pretty obvious that Martin doesn't like him. Yeah. Martin's still here. He's not going to play. So, arguably, they only two. And, I mean, yes, Latibaudier is always considered as this, but he's not a full-back or a wing-back. I'm fed up of saying it. So I'd say we probably need two in that position as well. I mean, Andy Fisher's been talked about. If we want to be successful, he can't play in goal. It's, it is that simple. He will make mistakes. He'll cost us goals. He shots Too many shots go under him. He can't catch enough crosses. Um, I don't even think his passing is that great. I mean, we haven't even discussed that shambolic first goal the other day yet, have we? From the West Brom game, for example. So, yeah, there's that. If Perot goes, we'll need two strikers. Um centre midfield that's an area where we, we probably don't need anything although you know I think if Kundal was to come back that would cover us really yeah but we probably need players again in the, the more attacking midfield positions then though so yeah look we, we do need to strengthen where you know the smallest and youngest squad in the league we haven't heard that for a while but you know they are true <laughs> as well you know, um, but there's people we can sell I mean we're on about Perot I mean he may well go I mean Mitch has mentioned Nathan Wood I mean there's a chance he might go and Cham has a year left. So unless he signs, maybe that's a, a, another player we'd like to move on. And, you know, yeah. it's just that uh, Martin doesn't like Whitaker, does he? And it'll be interesting in him. And I mean, especially now the Plymouth have come up, I could see them putting a bid in. So then hopefully a bid in war between them and Rangers means you might get a few quid. So, yeah, look, there's we need to bring in six or seven. That's how it's going to end up, I would have thought. But uh, whether that happens or not, I uh, I don't know, really. Um you can never rely on this lot, unfortunately. It's just bonkers. I, I mean, we've been doing this for a few good few years now, Stephen. It's, it's just bonkers. This one just has really knocked me for six. Um, the the way the club is, even today, is just so... I'm so confused. I don't know whether I'm excited for the future or petrified for it. Um, how would you explain, um, just, to, just to wrap up... Uh, the end here now this season Ian I know it's a very hard thing to ask you to do but in in terms of what you've witnessed in your position as well um, Swansea City season in a nutshell oh my god how long have you got um, <laughs> I mean, that very first month there was so much optimism it was really really like it felt good I, I think you know that, that Swansea had a decent summer bringing in a couple of players and you know it wasn't perfect but the start of the summer was okay and then you go into that Rotherham game and not getting the win and you think, oh, OK, you know, there we are. But there were some really good performances in there. Millwall at home was excellent. Um, Sheffield United at home was, you know, I thought it was two even teams that deserved to be a draw. Yeah. And as we said earlier, just mistakes and late goal, costly and stuff. 
And all of a sudden you're thinking, God, we're back to square one here. We're not progressing. And what happens now in that Stoke game? Just felt like it reached ahead. You know, you're at the end of the first month of the second season. You're thinking nothing's changed. Um, but performances were better. I don't think anyone can dispute that. They were miles better than they were at the same point the year before. And then that run kicks in. And this is where you really think, OK, this is what they're showing that they've learned over this long Petsfeld time. Great wins against, well, Cardiff was one of them, wasn't it? Um, West Brom away, Watford away, Sunderland at home. You know, there's some really good results and good performances against top sides as well. Mm. You think, OK, have they finally cracked it? And then, you know, a lot of draws before the World Cup. Then you've got the break, which is just so unusual for the players. It's never happened before come back a little bit you know some moments were good some were not so good first hour at Coventry when they were 3-0 down was horrific the last half an hour was as good as they played over 30 minutes this season it was just that that's probably another game that encapsulates the season um, and yeah they just never sort of got out of that rut and you know while some of the performances were good you know Burnley at home I thought they acquitted themselves well Watford at home was a great win mm. it eventually turned after all the stuff we mentioned in January which just didn't help them and and that Birmingham one, that was the one, the 4-3, that really tipped things, I think. I think, But for that one, I think even if they hold on for a draw there, there's disappointment, but it's not a disaster. But let's not forget, Swans were phenomenal in that game for the bulk of the game. Um, but they just didn't close out the game. And second half, they just gave Birmingham chances. And I think that was the one where, was it Latimer? Yeah, went off injured and they yeah. just won the yeah. um, And all of a sudden, they just crumbled. And yeah, that just had a massive knock-on effect for everyone, I think. Um, and even then, performances were good, but they eventually turned, I think, Stoke, Rotherham, those ones were just really poor. And that's when you start to fear, like, this is this is concerning, but credit to them. They got over it in the end. I think everyone sort of galvanised and it's been a phenomenal end to the season. Like, I really do believe two more games, they'd be in the playoffs. And if they go into the playoffs in this form, you got to fancy them, whether it was against a Middlesbrough or a Luton or Coventry, whoever it would have been. So it's encouraging the way they've ended. It's just... That, that spell was just too long, unfortunately, that, that poor run. Um, but this happens when you have messy situations, a World Cup in between, and it's just hard to build that consistency when you're not a squad of the talent of a Burnley with the depth and the quality that they've got, or a Sheffield United and, and, and Middlesbrough are probably a good example as well. So, yeah, a long way of saying it's been crazy, like you said, Matt. I think you summed it up better than me in one word. <laughs> I mean, Steve, we've got a manager as well who's in himself inexperienced and learning on the job and we can see um, in his uh, well, Ian will know better than anyone but in his post-match he wears his heart in his sleeve he says things sometimes he gets upset he he he, he reacts he's very passionate but that, that another sign of his inexperience and we're seeing him learning and we're seeing a recent change and, and that he's sticking with this um, for Diamond 2 um, is perhaps him now kind of seeing, right, this is actually working better for me and stuff. And he's learning on the job as well. Are we right to think, and, and as Ian rightly said there, I think maybe a couple more games would have been enough for us to sneak in there, um, that we, we take this forward. We have every reason to be optimistic, provided that the shambles off the pitch get sorted. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think the most encouraging thing for me is that although we had a similar run earlier in the season, I do think we played better in this <clears throat> more recent one. I think, you know, I, I think in that run, we were there was a couple of games that really could have gone either way. I mean, the, the West Brom one, really good win away from home. But I mean, if they score the penalty that they get with about 10 minutes to go, they probably beat us and then it gets saved. And then we go and steal it. The Watford one, I think, was sort of close as well. 
we've nicked him with a late winner. But I think in this little spell, other than maybe the game on Monday, which I really felt could have gone either way, all the other games have gone the correct way. I mean, we've dominated some of the games and then the other games have been won more narrowly. I mean, Cardiff, I know, was won in the last minute, but realistically, a 2-0 up before Fisher makes a mistake. We were coasted and easily the better team. I think we'd have won comfortably without that. So, you know, I think that's the the encouraging thing for me, really, is that I do think that the corner's been been turned. And as you say, I think the manager's probably learned quite a lot, you know, certainly, um, you know, after the crap of what happened in January. I mean, obviously, he does wear his heart on his sleeve, which, you know, it's sort of a, it's, a, it's always good when people care, but sometimes I think you do need to probably take a little bit of a step back and maybe that's something that he's, he's learnt. I hope that he has because I think his message after the Birmingham game about being devastated and all this type of thing, I think that sometimes that doesn't necessarily help the cause. So, um, yeah, look, he's, he is learning. Hopefully he has learnt a fair bit over the last season, but, you know, ultimately we've got to stop conceding some of the goals that we have been. I think that's the, the key issue, issue really, isn't it? Because, it has felt certainly in that run, you know, in March time, for example, when we did start to improve and we still weren't getting results. I mean, you just felt like we were still conceding terrible goals. And even if we played well, it was going to cost us. So that's certainly an area still, I think, that, you know, is going to need to improve more consistently. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, well, we've got to leave with some optimism and think that we're going forward. And Swansea City will come back bigger, better and stronger next season. Fingers crossed for that. But for your point of view, Ian, uh, to, to finish on a, a personal note, um, six and a half years of uh, Wales Online. Um, how long of that were you reporting uh, for Swansea City? Uh, so full time, it was roughly four and a half. I think it was midway through Graham Potter's year. So it was yeah, right at the end of 2018. But even beforehand, I still did them technically on a part time. I do you know, a lot of the home games or the other way here and there. So yeah, I've seen seen quite a lot of uh, quite a lot. And I've told you before I came in on the day Bob Bradley uh, was appointed as well. So that was really fun. And then yeah, on the day before That was your day one, was it? That was my day one. Yeah, I thought I'd said it on here before. I couldn't remember. Yeah, I remember you saying it to me that that was your your first day. And then yeah, just because I think Wales had games then, so you were probably thrown in at the time. <laughs> So yeah. just so we've had you. Well, hang on, um, I think I've I think I've drawn a little conclusion here, Ian. Um, so you, can, <laughs> oh, no, I don't hear you, this. You, yeah, you might not want to hear this. You, you came in on the day Bob Bradley uh, gets appointed. You've overseen. Uh, I say overseen. That's very harsh. You haven't overseen it. You've you've seen <laughs> a relegation, a few mid-table finishes, COVID, and um, yeah. So <laughs> I think you could just come in just after the best part of the last 50 years of the Swansea City and you've seen all the rest. <laughs> yeah, so what I'm saying is enjoy the promotion next year, lads. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> no, it's, been, it's been good fun. Like I said, I've seen lots of, you know, even like the, the, the COVID years was just bizarre, but, you know, getting to two playoff campaigns and, you know, like you see the building under Russell Martin as well. That Graham Potter season was unbelievable. I really enjoyed that one. I'm sure you did as fans. As, as much as there was frustration in there, some of the football in that back end of the season was just unbelievable. I really enjoyed watching it. I'd go to those matches thinking, I'm looking forward to this tonight. Um, so, yeah, it's just been it's been wild. Then, obviously, signing off in style with, um, yeah, a nice statement aimed at me on my uh, second to last day. So, <laughs> yeah, coming in with a bang and going out with a bang, lads. I can't imagine you wanted it any other way to be <laughs> What does the future hold for you then? You, uh, you you undecided at the moment or are you uh, still looking? 
No, all sorted, mate. So, um, yeah, it's been in the pipeline for a couple of months. Um, there's a lot of changes in, in well, not Wales Online, but Reach, the, the wider company. So, yeah, it feels like a good time for me to move on. So I thought finish the season and, and go then and go into the world of freelance. So, yeah, going to be keeping busy. Um, no doubt watching the Swans from afar. I'm sure I'll still be able to do the odd bit on the club as and when. But, yeah, we're, we're all sorted and straight back into it. No, uh, no summer breaks. Brilliant. Well, all the best with that and uh, everything in the future. So there we have it. Thank you once again, Ian, for joining us. All the very best with your future. I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot more of you in the media as you move onwards and upwards with your career, mate. Yeah, thanks very much, lads, and um, keep up the brilliant work. Really appreciate you having me on, not just today, but over the years. And yeah, just keep it up. It's been a great listen and it's made those uh, car miles much more uh, more easy. <laughs> well, it's been absolutely absolute pleasure. And it's water miles, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I was going to think, oh, wonder if I could work it out, but no, I've uh, I've got better things to do, I think. So, but yeah, thanks very much, lads. It's been um, it's been a pleasure, and yeah, keep up the brilliant work. No, it's been uh, absolutely it's been a pleasure on. for us as well. Um, it's been great having you on. I'm sure we'll get you on as well next season. Uh, well, that's it from us as well from the Jackass this season. I should imagine we'll be taking a short break for the summer and come back looking ahead to the 2023-24 season. That is, of course, unless there's some major drama behind the scenes for us to discuss. So, well, we'll probably be back next week then, won't we? So for myself and Steve, thank you so much for your continued support. Have a great summer and we'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye.